There's already been one safety in this half. Drive starts at the one and looking for a little breathing room and they get that and plenty more. Derrick Henry still going. Stays in bounds. He might go. 99 yards for the touchdown. Unbelievable. Welcome along, everyone. The Transatlantic Titans podcast is back. I'm, I'm Adam, and I'm joined by Greg and Neil this week. Hello to you, gents. Evening. Evening, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be an eventful podcast. There's no two no two ways a, about that. We're we're going to get to the the big story um the Brian Tannehill is the future apparently in Tennessee but we'll we'll get to all of that before we go any further though um it would be remiss of me I mean the news broke since the last time we recorded and uh, stuck a podcast out there that well the king of Titans Twitter Matt Neely has desperately sadly passed away and there's probably nothing much we can say to to do the guy justice, um, I'm, you know, I've, I've never met him, but obviously interacted with him on on Twitter and so on. He he was the sort of guy that would just find the right level of humour or the the right thing to say that would would cheer you up. And the, his social media presence was was always entertaining. Loved Marcus Mariota. Loved the te- loved the Tennessee Titans. Just a a huge fan, really, and somebody the well, the, the world's going to be a, a poorer place without him. And, you know, it's far too, far too young at, what, 30, 31 to, to leave us, which is, is dreadful. So thoughts go out to his, his friends, his family, uh, Chelsea, obviously, and you know, everyone connected with him on, on the team. He's, you know, he's famous in the, in the Tennessee circles, I guess. Um, you might not know him if you're if you're not a fan of of Tennessee, but you know what what else what else can I say? Um, desperately sad news to to come out of there. <laughs> no, I think every, everything you've said is everything you've said is spot on. I think um, anyone who is part of that Titans Twitter uh, universe or community, I think you've just got to look at how when the news broke, how everything just all, all the all the yeah, smattering of are you Mariota in, Mariota out, it just stopped. Uh and everyone just pulled together, which I think says a lot about the man and says a lot about, you know, what he contributed towards uh, that kind of community and anyone who uh is not part of sort of Twitter or social media but um but still somehow find this podcast, you might not know how what, what this is all about, but I think anyone who who's part of that community will will definitely miss. I definitely will miss his humour. That's for sure. I think he was probably the one account I would uh, I would go to just to read back his tweets from a, from a game, just because you know you're going to get some uh, some classic uh, Titans lines, and uh, you know that every time he lost a game, he took it very very hard and and sometimes in jest. But um, he he absolutely adored that team and all, and still and you know still did all the way to the end and. Was living his dream with the the Bustin' with the Boys podcast, and I uh, don't think he ever would have imagined that he would, you know, become so close friends with probably a number of the players. And there's been a few of them that have have tweeted about it, which again says a lot about the man. So, but I think you you did justice, Adam. I think obviously rest in peace, Matt. It's uh, obviously a sad start to the podcast, and 
hopefully we can uh, line it up as we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do our best, and I'm sure Matt wouldn't want wouldn't want that any other way, would he? Um, I, well, I, you say lighten it up. I mean, I, I wish I wish we had things to <laughs> to talk about that were were going to be positive. I mean, we've just gone to Denver, and it's. Well, there's no other way of putting it. It's probably one of the worst Titans performances I've seen in a long time. It's Baltimore from last year sticks in the mind, but this this seemed for, on some levels even worse. Just the consequences consequences of it. Yeah, so, someone bring this mood up, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can bring the mood up, other than um, I kind of and my first initial experience of that game if you want to call it an experience where on on game tracker on nfl.com because i want it work and uh it was prettier on there than actually <laughs> replaying it and watching it again um i mean i'm not i'm not the kind of guy that can instantly look at a game and and diagnose what what's going wrong or where players are breaking down but there's been some really good stuff on twitter in the days following in, in GIF form and sort of people that are, are better at breaking down film and the overall feeling that I've got coming away from the game is our offence is really, really bland and vanilla and no QB would excel or reach his potential in such a scheme. Um, I mean, I'll bow to people's better knowledge on that, but it does seem to make sense. It was it was an absolutely woeful game. I've, I I completely agree with you, Adam. I, I don't think there's been a lower moment than watching that on on Sunday. But I think what made it worse than Baltimore last year, and I thought Baltimore was was as bad as it got when I watched it at the time. What made it worse is that that was not even a very good Denver team. Uh, I thought they were pretty good on defense, but they didn't even need to be. Um, but on offense, I mean Flacco. He, he wasn't great at all and they and that kind of for me made it worse than probably Baltimore last year or even some of the other low moments that we've had in the last certainly the last year or so even this season to an extent we just didn't look like we were going to get anything going whatsoever and even when they benched Mariota and we brought uh, Tannehill on he moved the ball a bit but he still just he had no confidence whatsoever that they were going to go and really put points on the board and turned out they they didn't at all it was just from beginning to end an, a dreadful performance uh, from the coaching team from, from the offense on the on the field I think the only the only area really you can give any kind of positives is is obviously on defense which we say probably every single week at the moment, which is nice to say every week, but you, you can't rely on your defence to get you out of uh, get you out of the holes that we keep putting ourselves into. And and that offence, especially on Sunday, and we've seen it in previous weeks, we're just we're not scoring points on the board. Um, and if you're not scoring points on the board, you know, it doesn't matter how well your defence does, you're always going to struggle to win games of football. So here, here are some numbers. And... I may make a mistake here because this is entirely off the top of my head. Um, 13, I think, 19, 20, 10, um, week 5, 14, 16. They're the points that we've conceded. We're 2 and 4. You know, it, it's... we've Well, we've said it almost every week of doing this. There's nothing wrong with the defence. If... if 
if we're those are the points we're conceding each week and we're two and four, it's pretty clear where the problems are. And yeah, zero, zero points in Denver and, and zero flattered us. <laughs> I yeah, mean, it, it, yeah. I think, yeah, 91 points in six games, which you know, pretty much evens out to what 15 points a game, give or take. Yeah. Um, you can't fault that defense for that. 15 points a game uh, is, is certainly getting towards that very good slash elite level um, because your offense should be able to go and put 20 points on the board. And if you're only conceding 15 and you're scoring 20, you're going to be winning more games football than losing. But when your offense is, is dropping a big fat duck, then what, what are you going to do? Um, you, I think the, the decision that was made during the game to, to bench Mariota, it, the, the game wasn't going well. It's, it's it's the same in a you know football or for our American listeners soccer game when your centre forwards miss three sitters, you know by all means drop you know drag them out give someone else a go and that's pretty much what what they've done. But I think what they then did subsequently, which we'll come to later, uh, I think has been probably more telling than what what they did on Sunday with with benching him when they did because look they had to do something. Nothing was working. The run game wasn't working. Henry was finding absolutely no gaps whatsoever which was down partly to their you know to Denver's defense I thought their defense was, was pretty stout but the pressure that Mariota kept getting himself under because the O-line was just crumbling in front of him yet again um, and you know the opportunities and, and this is where I think we have to give Mariota a, a little bit of stick is that there were actually two three possibly four occasions where there were simple throws that he just was not making uh, there was there was one I remember to Henry that all right, we can all we can all decide one way or another whether Henry would have actually caught that ball. But there was, I think, a screen pass to him that was like four or five yards behind him. Um, there was another instance, uh, I think it was to Davis. I might be wrong, uh, which again he just he didn't connect with, and and that was the, that was my biggest worry with Mariota is that even when he was getting enough time, he still wasn't able to pick out what was essentially quite simple throws. And for a guy in his fifth year. Yeah, we we can we can definitely complain about everyone around him, and we can definitely say that none of them were good enough. But also on on the day, and we, I can't say this for every game this season. I mean, there was games like Buffalo where I don't think he did a hell of a lot wrong. Um, but on the day on Sunday, he he had a shocker, unfortunately. Yeah, the Buffalo game, I think he he I, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't say he had a decent game, but yeah, you're right. He didn't do a lot wrong. I actually think. You talk about the O-line crumbling. I thought it stood up a bit more, which isn't isn't maybe saying much. And he, Marcus did have more time, but there were a few occasions, in addition to the missed throws that you you just talked about, where he he'd have a clean pocket and he'd sort of try and run away from it without really looking at what there was, or he'd he'd, he'd step into step into where there was pressure from where there wasn't, or just take off whether you know it, all those instincts that he used to have just seemed to escape him uh, in 2015 2016 my memories of him and I've watched a, a few highlights in the last day or so just to <laughs> remind myself what what we used to have but he'd he'd know when to take off and run or he'd know when to if, if I just just throw the ball away, all these decisions that he was making in a pocket that he was able to make before, and for whatever reason, those decisions are have gone. It's just it's not articulating his mind properly. I think it's it's hard 
to remember a Titans game over the last maybe two, three seasons where we haven't sort of got frustrated with the play calling and we've all been screaming out on social media to say, let Marcus call plays, let Marcus run offense, run the hurry up, run the hurry up, run the hurry up. It's a constant theme. And this season we seem to have took it away completely. Whereas it was smattered in previous seasons uh, by Lafleur and before that, even by Rubisky. This season, it's just not there. It just seems so rigid. So this is going to work because we've put this personnel in place and there's no plan B or no deviation. It seems a bit maybe bullheaded from the coaching staff. I don't know if you guys agree. So go back to three years ago. So you, you mentioned Rubisky. Time can do strange things, and Rubisky, in my head, you know, it was run, run, pass on third down, punt. That's that's how we sort of remember him. And don't don't tell yeah. the Irish Titans that. <laughs> but actually, uh, watch watching a watching a bit back from that season, the Packers game is obviously the the statement game from that year, a victory in Arrowhead. Um, we went we went nine and seven we've got nine and seven in the last three years but there were a lot of different formations different sets mixing things up on offense you know shovel yeah. passes and Statue of liberty yeah <laughs> things and like that using you know, we had demarco murray that year who was just unstoppable using him in different ways he'd be he'd be downfield catching and all this sort of stuff and you <laughs> I, think, I can't I think, believe I'm about to say this, but were we we're not we weren't giving Rubisky the credit maybe that he des- <laughs> deserves and Mike Malarkey. Big, I, I, oh, I don't know. You got to look, look at that that season in particular. The number of games that in the third quarter we'd be down by a score or by uh, you know even you know three or seven points we'd be down and it would be fourth quarter drives that would save us week in week out. The reason we got nine seven is probably there must have been at least four in that season, possibly more. It was very rare that we'd go out and, and, and just beat a team. We would basically always be chasing that in the fourth quarter. So that hurry-up offense that you're, you were referring to, Neil, is, is actually was down to the fact that they didn't have time on the clock to, you know, to necessarily you know, think things. They, they actually had to you know, get moving. And yes, it worked better. I think um, Mariotis felt more at home. I think the play calling we're seeing from Arthur Smith now is, is questionable. The decision-making, once again, of Rabel, I questioned it last week. Is is again questionable. I think I just don't. I just don't see. We even need. We need to. We, well, we obviously know what's happened with obviously Mariota now, but we need to commit and give Arthur Smith help, or we need to to move away and move away for good. I don't think that that it would do any. Job. I, was, I was I was reading something on Twitter the, uh, earlier today, which was saying they'll they'll bench him until after the bye week. And then they'll give him the final, was it six games or five, six games of the season to, to, to go and show what he can. If he goes and even explodes in those last six games, for argument's sake, do you really see a long-term deal on the table from the Titans? Because I, I just don't. I, just, I can't see it. Even if he goes and has the best six games of his in, entire career, I still don't see the Titans saying, is that enough for us to offer you, you know, also going rate for a quarterback for five years or for even if they try and bridge it with by you know doing a short term deal like is he even going to want that so i just i think they've pretty much made 
their statement. I'm not saying it's it's over because you know things do change. I mean, Tannehill go and get injured on the first play on Sunday, and all of a sudden Marcus is back. But I do think if Tannehill doesn't get injured or doesn't go and do a Jameis Winston and throw five picks in a game to get himself benched, I I, I don't see a way back for Mariota, and that's. And that's obviously sad to, to kind of say because I think we've all kind of wished that and hoped that he would you know, be our franchise quarterback and lead us all the way. But I don't think that this organisation has helped him in any way. There's been some of it's been unavoidable. I mean, look, the floor going to, to Green Bay, we, you know, is unavoidable. But before that, they kept chopping and changing. He's had five OCs or whatever, however many it is since he's since he's been here. The whole part of the Arthur Smith recruitment on his side, or getting him to OC, was to to give continuity and as six weeks into the season you basically just ripped that continuity apart by saying here you go Tannehill it's up it's down to you yeah I, I, it's just this is just going to seem uh, a depressing podcast but you know um we'll we'll make it lighter before we finish I promise but the it, it was almost we backed ourselves into such a hole that there isn't really a choice. I mean, it was such a no-brainer to bench Mariota on Sunday, regardless of whose fault it is. And a, a lot of the blame is no, should be nowhere near him. I don't think you know, the the way that the way that offense looked. And yes, he was playing so poorly. I don't think he had a choice but to bench him. But the fact that we're in this position means that doing that has consequences down the line. Now. On the on the face of it, I I genuinely wasn't sure who we should start on Sunday against the Chargers. They've made a decision that it's Tannehill. Um, I don't think I don't think Brable knew initially. So the and this this statement went out on Monday to say, "Oh, we're we're going to sleep on it, or we'll make a decision later." I, I, why would you say that? I'm not sure what. But sure, surely that, the decision to go with Tannehill in this next game for Sunday and listen they're basically saying he's now our starting quarterback do you really see a way back from Mariota and I say unless Tannehill gets injured or unless he goes and has an absolute shocker either of those things could very well happen by the way (laughs) very well could especially with Tannehill we all know his injury history but if if that doesn't and he's not even good just steady like plays okay doesn't do anything horrendously badly wrong do you really see them bringing Mario to back, I just, I just don't, I can't see it happening. It's, it's a strange situation because in light of what's happened with, say, Matt Castle and Blaine Gabbert over the past couple of seasons, when we actually signed Tannehill, you were kind of out, out of the blue. And I remember looking at Chris, my friend at work, who, who was also a Titans fan, and saying, yeah, I get that. That That is a really good, astute signing. Um, but it put us in a situation where and I think it might have been Turan Davenport that mentioned this, that Mariota's, in his head, he's known that for the first time in five years, there's been quality NFL calibre backup and that he'll perhaps on a shorter leash. And I'm not saying that that's entirely what's affected his game, but we've put ourselves in a situation where, yeah, we did need a viable backup because of Marcus's injury problems, but it's also put us in a situation where it's created a, a controversy that really weren't there until Marcus started having these last few bad games. So it's like created a controversy, even though we were filling a need. And that's an odd situation to me. When they signed Tannehill, the first thing I, I, that came to my mind was, oh, that's for when Marcus gets injured. I didn't think it would be, oh, that's when he gets 
benched after six weeks and pulling him out. I think, and I think anyone who oh, I say anyone, there's obviously gonna be some skeptics out there that would say, oh yeah, it's hundred percent for that reason. But most people were thinking this is in case he goes and gets himself injured again, because we all know again his injury sort of history and his record, especially in recent years, he's not reliable on that front. That's one thing this year. In fairness to my knowledge and obviously I know a lot of stuff last year was kind of hidden away in terms of his injuries but so far this year he has been more durable um, but which has been surprising with the number of times he's been sacked this year but he's been more durable but I just don't I I think they at the time it was to me it was if Mario gets injured that's why they put Tannehill there because they expected him at some point to miss time I don't think they expected him to do 16 games Um I didn't expect it to be after six weeks, then pulling him out because he's not played horrendously bad football for all six weeks. He's actually been, you know, against Cleveland. I thought he, he looked good. Like, not I, I think he's had three bad games out of six, by the way. Yeah. The, yeah. And I, I could probably agree with that. And the good games were, were classic Mariota protecting football, making easy throws in red zone, uh, mistake free and running when he needed to just, that's how he's successful. Kind of in a, I hate to say it, but kind of in like an Alex Smith manner. That's how he's successful. That's how yeah, he wins yeah. games. Yeah, Case Keenum as well. Yeah. 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 See, I, 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 think... I, I didn't think that. I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, the Tannehill signing, and, and this is where oh, I get angry with. Oh, not people specifically, but the crowd on Twitter or wherever, um, the the non-Titans fans, who as soon as the Tannehill signings announced, it's like, oh right, well he's he's the best he's the best QB in Nashville. Um, well, how long till he gets a starting job? Uh, but yeah, you know, it I saw it like you. It's it's a better quality backup than Castle or Gabbert, obviously. Yeah, you got to look at you got to look at last year with having Blaine Gabbert cost us a place in the playoffs really I yeah mean, so you want to put a, a positive spin on Tannehill um, Gabbert kept us in that Colts game Tannehill could have probably won that Colts game yeah hypothetically that's where 100%. you're getting an upgrade yeah 100% but yeah I, you're expecting I just had no no idea that after week six <laughs> that this would be happening you know you you, you expect that he'd have He'd have the year, really. This was a prove-it year. It's just such—it's such a slap in the face to have that have that done up, potentially done after six weeks. But I think that's also another big point around this is that they've now dropped him. Now, who knows if he will ever be back this season? If Tannehill goes off and actually plays well and keeps his spot, come the end of the season, the decision will be made that they'll probably end up saying thanks very much for everything, but you know we're going to part ways. But you'll still never know. You'll still never know, you know, until he goes and signs with another team. And you know how this will play out. He'll go and sign somewhere else in a system and a scheme. And I think it's getting to kind of Neil's point earlier. He's not in the right scheme. He's not in, uh, he's not got the right coaching around him. He, he's, you know, the continuity stuff we've, that's, you know, been talked about a hell of a lot. All of that has, has led to the Titans essentially failing him. And I think the best we saw him... The best I saw him anyway, obviously in the early stages, but also with, I thought with Mal- Malarkey and Rubisky when he was able to kind of really run with that offense a bit more, like Neil mentioned, I think that was probably the best that, that I saw from him. But also that that dressing room was really together. You got to look after. I mean, it's easy to yeah, say yeah. after a win against Kansas in uh, Kansas City in the playoffs, you know, 
I think I watched that that video back um, of you know Rack Pogan with the game ball to Malarkey. They were all you know we can all have our own opinions on Malarkey and Rubisky and and what that coaching staff was, but that dressing room was together and everyone was pulling in the same direction, and that's something that I'm not actually sure we can say we have now. Well, let's talk about that. So we've had Delaney, who's back playing this year. He's been pretty outspoken about, about a few things, but he's he's defended Marcus in, in recent days. Uh, you've had Roger Saffold, who's kind of done the opposite, who's said, I apologise if I'm getting the words or the exact meaning wrong, but they essentially pretty much said that he was he was glad when they put Tannehill in on Sunday and that the, the offence seemed to start moving better, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't think either either player should be saying these things publicly anyway. No, I think Delaney backtracked slightly as well. I think he, in one of his one of his tweets, uh, I think late, relatively late last night, he was sort of backtracking very slightly. I think there might have been some words that were said, but I mean, he was he was putting it on the coaching team, which uh, you know, all the coaching staff. He was he put it onto them. It's like it's not my decision to to make. It's he was very much kind of saying, who knows what decision they'll make, and and it's all on them, which is a, an interesting kind of way of looking at it because he has been very outspoken, which is. I mean, I'm not saying it's not like him. I think he is relatively outspoken, but he's normally a little bit smarter with how it comes across. I don't mind players being outspoken. The fact that they're saying things or controversial things like this, even putting slight on the coaching staff, isn't a good thing. Or it doesn't. It's not a good sign that the locker room's together, is it? And it's the same with Saffo and his comments on Mariota. The first thing that you come out, and you think, well, clearly you're you're not you're not supporting your quarterback. And if you're part of that O line, he doesn't like blocking for him either. No, and he's he's been absolutely dreadful all year. And if if anyone in that O line needs a finger pointing out, it's probably him more than anyone. Um, I mean, you could you could do, do it for pretty much everyone, but he he especially has been for for the level he's at and the money he's getting paid and the reputation he came with from the Rams. You, we, I expect million times more than what I've seen. Yeah, if go back to the offensive line, the um the gif that's been going around Twitter of the uh, the effort on the Von Miller sack. Now I'm not I'm not like one of these guys to look at it and say, yeah, waste of space, etc. blah blah blah. Are they um kinda at the end of the tether with how Marcus is running into trouble or running out of clean pockets and that's where lack of efforts come from. Or is that a more systematic problem where, well, for whatever reason, this offensive line is just not gelling as a group and they're kind of rudderless, as if there's no leader? Or, and which is like, obviously, Taylor Lawan's a big, loud character, but it doesn't seem to have pulled this group together in any way. They just seem to be just in flux all the time and uh, never making any steps forward and just looking as far as they're being paid 100 million more guaranteed than the Patriots' offensive line, to put into perspective, and they're playing easily as bad as anything I've seen in the NFL. Oh, one of the it, t- it takes a rookie to actually say something kind of classy. AJ Brown, who's been well, it looks like he's being in Marcus's corner, but actually, I think he's just he's he's just being a good guy about things. Um, he's yeah, putting some blame on himself. They say, well, I've I've not been not been getting open enough, which I don't I don't think it's true, by the way. I think he's just he's he's trying to trying to do the right thing in in what's probably a difficult environment. It's 
what what a, a rookie year to come into as well. I mean that that's, oh, that's very much out of college straight into a fire. I mean, yeah, he's not been at fault. I think if any if anyone in that receiver core is is Sean, it's it's him. Um, I think there's others that you can probably question and say, are they doing enough? But also at the same time, what I lo- loved about AJ's message is that he is behind Mariota 100 percent and he'll be behind I'm sure Tano 100 percent because yeah, yeah exactly, he won't exactly. it won't be any different. He's not saying I, I want Mariota ahead of Tannehill. He's simply just saying you know we failed Marcus now it's Ryan and we're not going to fail him because he's he's a team player in that respect but yeah it was a classy message I think that really did sum him up and I kind of thought I wasn't really sure what to expect when he was drafted I kind of thought is he going to be one of these you know chip on the shoulder kind of wide receivers with a bit of an attitude to him he's been the complete opposite um he's still got that kind of he's he's very different to Mariota in in terms of you know he will be a bit more vocal but at the same time He's just been absolute class, and that message pretty much sums it up. And that's not the first time. Also, he said it. I think he also went to, uh, the, I think it was the last home game when he turned up in a Mariota jersey. I mean, that showed solidarity that we've not really seen across anywhere else in the team. Which, and especially looking at like you know the O line, the Von Miller sack you mentioned, you know, it, they've just not even looked bothered, and that's been the biggest frustration. I think uh, I think Roger Saffold actually backtracked a little today. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, he actually said that offensive line have took a, a lot of responsibility on board for, for Mariota's benching, whether it were disingenuous or not, or whether he's been told to say something, something along those lines. I think just in interest of balance, to be fair, I think he did actually backtrack a little today and said, said that offensive line is taking responsibility. I think there's been some team meetings on that side. I think yeah, definitely not not backtracked, but he certainly kind of came out with a much more positive message after being essentially incredibly uh, negative in his in his recent you know, post match conferences, which is understandable when you've just gone and lost a game sixteen nil. But yeah, I I just don't see a, a together locker room. And like I said, if you go back to you know that Kansas game, I know we won that game, but there was that locker room was, was as tight as it's ever been. And yeah, there's a, a lot of players that have come and gone since then, and, but there's a core that is, is still there. And I don't see why it's, how it's got as bad as it feels like it has. Listen, we're on the outside. We're not seeing anything really. We just purely see things from what, what we get access to, but it doesn't feel like a, a locker room that any player would want to be a part of at the moment. Roger Saffold dressed like a park ranger and played like a park bench. <laughs> just to lighten mood slightly I, I, think, I think I think a park bench would probably block better than uh, Saffold yeah. did <laughs> at least you struggle to push it over I guess <laughs> what about Brable I mean if you'd asked me six weeks ago is, is he a great head coach that's going to take the team forward I, it would be in no doubt at all now, now I'm. I feel like I'm almost calling for his head. I mean, it, it's is it down to him where we are? Is is it Robinson? I well, personally, I don't think it's Robinson at all. I think he's. I think Robinson's built a superb roster. But yeah, who's who's to blame? I don't know. I think the I think the last thing we needed after Malaki, and I remember saying this at the time, were another. I'm not going to say Stone Age because that's really, really harsh, but another quote-unquote football guy. Uh, a lot at league, 
a lot of the NFL is going towards these scientists. Or um, you've had a cup, of, you've had a cup with Sean McVay, so yeah. you're brilliant, <laughs> that kind of guy. And I'm not saying we should have gone down that route either, but I don't think we needed another traditional ground and pound smash mouth football guy, which is I think is what we've got in Vrabel. And if we are going to go down the route of spending yet another high draft pick on a QB. I honestly don't think he's that guy to hire the guy to develop him and develop him himself, which puts me in a position where I don't dislike the guy, but I'm worried about how we'll, we can move forward with him in charge. The, start, the style of your offense is very much from the quarterback forward, I think. And if you look at, and I, I don't want to use the Cardinals really as, as an example for anything really, but <laughs> you, you look at what, what they did, with with Kyler Murray and then bringing in Kingsbury, they did that because they knew that them two, you know, over time, and it's not going to happen overnight, but over time we're going to build probably a very good offense if they can then get some you know weapons around and improve other areas because I mean they've been bombing for years, and already I mean they're what are they two two three and and a tie, and that's a team that were you know, they were just tanking season after season for the last sort of three years or so, so. They're already is this, seeing. Is this where we are, Greg? We're at the point where we've got to look up to teams like the Cardinals and be on there. <laughs> Feels it, but my point with that is that they they brought in a head coach that was going to get the best out of Kyler Murray, and going forward, we'll see if that happens. And we needed a head coach who was going to find the best offensive scheme for Mariota. Ironically, he... the closest guy to that is probably Wizenhunt. When he, when he first started. Very true, very true. But I think, and that's been the biggest failing, is that they they tried to, they brought in Arthur Smith as you know, as part of this, all this you know continuity, but they were forgetting that our offense wasn't even good last year. Our offense did struggle last year. And we can put that down to Mariota was injured for a bit. Sure, absolutely. And we had Blaine Gabbert for a fair few games. Yeah, no worries. We can put that down to whatever we want to put it down to. But some of the play calling from, from the fraud was as bad as, as anything that we've seen. And I just don't think that that head coach or the, the appointment of Arthur Smith. And I think he's obviously a, a, sounds like a great guy. sounds like he, you know, the dressing were really behind him to start with. I don't see how they can be behind him too much at the moment with the offense that we're running and the scheme that we're running, because we're not getting I mean, look, zero points last week, but I don't know what we're averaging in terms of points. I mean, take the the Cleveland game out of the uh, of the of uh, the equation. We must be you know, averaging less than 15 points a game. And I also, I think I put something on Twitter the other day that we've only scored points in 10 of 24 quarters this year, which is, when you think about it, pretty dreadful. And again, if you take the Cleveland game out of that, and I, I don't want to take an entire game out, but if you do, it's then six of twenty, and that just for me is showing that there's something not right. Especially if you, for you, you mentioned the Cleveland game, it feels like an outlier now, doesn't it? That feels like the exception, and that's what we didn't have. You know, we, yeah, okay, we've been nine and seven three years in a row, but it's been a bit, it's been inconsistent nine and seven each year in different ways. But obviously, you go nine and seven, the good is going to marginally outweigh the bad. And that's not, that's not the case now. I don't see this, this season as, as being a nine and seven season. You know, I probably take, well, I don't, I don't know. Definitely six. no nine and seven this year. I think you look at the schedule as well. This year it is tough, 
there's so many tough games and and you know what they're the sort of games that titans <laughs> look at last year look at the games we won last year we beat you know the eagles at home we beat pats at home two games that you would probably be looking at and thinking that's gonna be hard that's gonna be tough even at home they're, they're the sort of games that yeah maybe we'll go and surprise a lot of people in the latter stage of this year but there is some really tough games we still gotta play kc we still gotta play houston twice we still gotta play the saints we still gotta go to to carolina um, the Chargers this week, which we'll come to shortly, is you know they've been pretty woeful, but we all we all know what they can do if they if they get it right. There's there isn't really any easy games. Even the Raiders away, I mean they're they're certainly improving, and I don't think you can really trust the Titans to go away there and, and guarantee a result. So I take I take four I take four and twelve right now. As long as we get more than three that Adam Rank said, then... <laughs> we need to be in that. If we are moving on, which looks 99% certain, we need to be in that range as well. We don't need to be trading up a mortgage in future for a prospect that probably three or four games ago we weren't even thinking about drafting. Yeah. If you get what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand obviously every position is on a GM's radar, but three or four games ago, we're not <clears> looking at the top quarterback prospects and thinking, how do we get that guy? Which I think now we are. Um, and if we win six, seven games, we're going to end up in a situation like the Jets did when they had to move up to get Darnold, um, and we, d- we don't want that. But at the same time, this, this team's not going to tank. Uh, I think the... the no, no. We're, we're only two and four. Like I mean, yeah. you look at Houston last year, one and three after four weeks, and they went on to, to go and win the division and, and became yeah. a really good side. I don't see that happening necessarily, but the way that surely Vrabel... Robinson and those guys are looking at right now is that this isn't over. Um, they're going to keep fighting to try until until they're told it's you know, mathematically impossible. They'll, they'll surely carry on. I don't think this is a team that's now going to be like, okay, right, we're done on Mariota. Uh, Tannehill goes in. Let's tank this season so we can go and get a you know a really high draft pick. I don't see that happening. And also, Robinson's very much a guy who he loves a trade. Let's face it, he he wouldn't be afraid. He wouldn't be afraid to 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 move up and. It wouldn't surprise me if if we ended up, I don't know, six and ten, five and eleven, and still have to end up trading up. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, here's I think here's a, a conundrum that we've got as well. If if we get into this off season and and Vrabel's still the guy, um, how do you then find an offensive coordinator who's going to modernise, revolutionise our offense, and not have designs on being a head coach a year later? You've got to try and like get that veteran guy who's maybe been around the block and been a head coach, but still thinks in a modern way as far as where the league is going. And I think that's really hard to find. Where do you find that guy? What you've got to do is make the young guy that you want to revolutionise your offense your head coach. And I, I just don't see him parting ways with Rabel. Yeah, that that that's the sticking point. I, I to- totally agree with that. If if we're if we're in a position we're drafting whatever QB it is. Just yeah, seeing Brable and or Arthur Smith leading that offense, I don't, I don't see massively different results. Whoever it is, it's pointless. It's, it's pointless. Yeah. You no, might as that's, well. That's where you we're might as well at. Looking, I mean, looking free agency and pick up a veteran and just try and win nine, ten games again. <laughs> well, I, that's sticking Tannehill in week seven. Right now, he's probably our best chance of beating the Chargers. Yeah. That and that that's. That's probably where the decision is. I suspect the next three or four weeks, it's a bit suck it and see. See what the team looks like with Tannehill when he's had a week to prepare rather than being thrown in as a off the bench in the third quarter when it's all going wrong in Denver. He's had a 
a chance to practice with the guys. He'll be taking all the the first team reps. Give, see 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 what he can do. The, the Chargers and the Bucks at home, which Greg's got the pleasure of attending both of them, <laughs> and and see where we are early November. I guess is you can't think too much more ahead than that. Well, we we are, we're trying to, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because we don't we don't know. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's all happened so fast. It's definitely a week to week proposition at the minute. I just I can't help but look further down the line and and worry about the fact that we are going to be in the QB market and we're going to get into another situation where that QB is perhaps a blue chip prospect and everybody perceives that is in bad hands in Tennessee. Um, and I want I want us to avoid that situation again, if if at all possible. And if that means Vrabel being moved to one side, um, I think I'd, I'd be in, in on that. But we're not the, the kind of team like the Patriots are, are paying Josh McDaniels head coach money to stick around and be their offensive coordinator. That's never going to happen in Tennessee. We're never, we're never going to unearth an offensive coordinator and pay him X amount of millions a year to to hang around behind Mike Rabel. It's just, just we're just not that type of organisation. So it's a really crucial time. No, I think also they got their fingers burnt slightly with Lafleur. I mean, because he was he was a bit of a surprise, I think, in in my opinion, when when we we first I was expecting him. He was obviously interviewed for our head coach role, so I was I was quite surprised by then. And within a year, he's gone. And all of a sudden, you've now got to go and find someone else. I think the Titans will prefer someone who will come in and and sit behind Vrabel. And if Vrabel's going to be the man to pick that, and I, I read someone on Twitter the other day that that I think his choice before Arthur Smith was Ryan Day. And if he's going to be like his choice and someone to sit behind him for years, is that going to be the kind of offense that, you know, any quarterback is going to be able to thrive in? That's like you say, that's going to be the biggest worry. You can't answer you can't answer the question, what is Mike Vrabel's offense? Nobody can answer that question. Because because yeah. nobody knows what is his offense. I don't think he's got one. No. 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 <laughs> um yeah, his 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 role is making the wrong decision on fourth and three in the fourth quarter, whatever way round that might be. And oh. just a, a last note on Vrabel. I don't need to hear another story about how he puts pads on. Oh, oh. <laughs> get, I don't need it anymore. That's I've had enough of that now. That, that's war thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about the Chargers game then? Any? Well, we're all obviously going to predict a Titans win, but whether we mean it or not is another matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it actually. I mean, even though we've got to find out what we're dealing with, haven't yeah, we? yeah, we're pretty, pretty like down in dumps at this point, and not an exciting team to watch. We still managed to add a bit of drama, which is classic Titans. So <laughs> let's see how Ryan Daniel does. But I'm actually looking forward to watching it on Sunday night. I think it's, uh, I think we're in a stage where last week we said it was it was like must win. Um, I think we're in a stage now where it's. If we if we do want any outside hope to get playoffs, yes, must win. But no one, even even the coaching staff, are buying that, that this team's going to make the playoffs. So it is now just a ambitions do, have totally what, changed, haven't they? What what are they going to do to change that offense now that Tannehill's under center and it's not Mariota? Are we going to see any improvements? You know, O-line, for example, what improvements are we going to be seeing there? I think that'll be a bit of a slap in the face if they go and put a, a worldy performance out there on Sunday. But obviously, I'll want to see that. But I think it'll be a bit of a slap in the face considering how bad they've been this season. It'll be a, a really interesting game because the Chargers are struggling. And I think they are, for, for a team last year that were 
probably one of the best in their division and, and you know really knocked on the door of the playoffs. I think they're in the playoffs in fairness. Um, you know, I under... thought they looked awful, by the way, until they they came back in the fourth quarter a little bit against the Steelers. Was it Steelers? Yeah, they they yeah. Rivers they almost been... looked worse worse than Mariota did. They've had a few things on Twitter this week as well. Uh, same in same vein as Delaney Walker, where um, Keenan Allen saying he's sick of every Chargers game, going out same script and things <laughs> like that. I mean, he's not getting his targets or he's not making as many catches as he normally would. So you can understand this frustration, but I don't think there's harmony there either. No, I think it's two two very similar teams. Two teams that are um, obviously apart from the fact that the quarterback will be Phil Rivers, Philip Rivers this week, no no doubt. But other than that, it's the two teams really really struggling. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because the Titans tend to turn up against teams that you wouldn't expect them to go and win against. Uh, they always let you down against teams that you uh, that you think, oh, that's an easy easy win in the column, but. Yeah, this is going to be. I think it'll be a lot tougher game than than some people might think. And, and but I think the expectations, in honesty, are pretty pretty low. And I'll be very intrigued to see how many Titans fans make it out there Sunday, because yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a lot. Of, I mean, we talk about you know support, and I'm I'm obviously going myself, but that's. The support in Nashville has been, you know, look at the Bills game. Apparently, there was 30, 35,000 Bills fans in the stadium. How many are going to actually turn up this Sunday when they've just made the decision they've made? They've been playing as badly as they have been. As I say, dropped a duck on on Sunday. How how many are actually going to be there to, to support the team? So it will be interesting. I'm quite looking for, I think I'm similar to Neil. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing just how it pans out what differences there are in, in the scheme if any I don't expect yeah. any but who knows we, there might be a completely different game plan now it'll be very very interesting score prediction then we uh, might all the agree ob- on this yeah the obvious uh, format 69-0 <laughs> yeah I think I'm, it's going to be a tough game I think uh, but you have to go Titans 69 charges nil. Yeah, uh, Chargers zero, Titans sixty nine. We're all going to agree on that score. Um, let's if it, if this is the end for Marcus, let's lighten things by just remembering the fact that not every game for the Titans was as it, as it was last Sunday. What's your what's your best moment or memory or game that from Marcus with a, a Tennessee uniform? Greg, my best moment, uh, and this is slightly biased because I was there for it. Um, week seventeen, home to the Jags, stiff arm on Barry Chair. <laughs> um, it was one of those ones when you see it on television. I've watched replays of thousands of times, and actually, we're talking to Matt Neely put together like the brilliant, brilliant. Most I think brilliant that that one. moment inspired at least fifty percent of his content. Oh, it was classic. <laughs> Absolutely classic. And but being there in person at that time, at the time you're thinking, oh, yeah, he's just stiff armed him. Yeah, fine. And then you watch it back up on the big screen, you're like, oh, no, he's actually he's he sent him six feet under. He's uh, <laughs> literally uh, his career is done now, that's it. But uh, no, in all seriousness, just purely for being there and, and there's been there's been some really good moments and I think there's been some some it's been inconsistent, but there's been some really good games. And look back to Pat's game last year, for example, um, where I just felt that was one game that I'd never expected us to go and win in the way that we did. But that for one moment it has to be that moment. 
a uh, bit biased, but that is for me the moment with Marcus Mariota. Neil, what's your favourite? Um, I mean, as a as a game, as a body of work, probably the Kansas City playoff win. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a bit further. Um, I remember watching um, Oregon and uh, and Florida State um, play college playoff semifinal, Mariota and Winston, and thinking, well, we've got number two pick. Uh, we're going to get one of these guys, and I think him being fairly impressed with both. And then there's all this talk of, oh, shall we um, stick with Zach Mettenberger? He's been working <laughs> out. He's been working out with his receivers, and he's a brilliant leader, and, and all this carry on. Anyway. The made decision, obviously, to draft Mariota. We get to week one, his rookie season. Um, Tampa Bay on the road against Winston, in, in a happy coincidence. Um, that was throws... no coincidence. The NFL <laughs> that game, like. yeah. and he, he plays an absolutely perfect mistake-free game. Throws five touchdowns, and I remember the af- the warm glow of the aftermath of that game, thinking, "It's happened to us. We have actually got that guy." that guy that so many teams seem to stumble on and we never, ever do, um, other than Steve McNair, obviously. And, and I'll never kind of forget the euphoria of just the aftermath of that game, thinking, yeah, yeah, we're set. He made Bishop Sankey look a good receiver in that game. And that just yeah. showed yeah. Yeah, the promise <laughs> that he had. Yep. I, I, was, I was trying to think of a, a specific moment. And yeah, you've got the throwing the touchdown to himself and the the stiff arm and yeah that that Tampa Bay game there's there's all sorts of things like that the the word that sticks in my head though is clutch and the certain just just drives when it's mattered and we we all know and this is this is the thing that has been he's probably been underappreciated for of those moments in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line he's generally performed better than you know a first quarter drive or whatever and I could think of the, the Eagles game in overtime last year, the Jets, when we'd been terrible and we just came came back and got a touchdown right at the end. But there's one one moment from 2016 in a largely forgotten game against the Lions where a pretty unspectacular game, but the Titans were, were driving in the fourth quarter down by, I'm not sure, down by yeah, less less than a score ended up being a fourth and five and a minute or so left a fourth and five with 15, 20 yards from the, the end zone. And Marcus throws this dime to Andre Johnson of all people in virtually triple coverage. And there's, there's no way that that pass is there. You look at it, that's, that's being picked or oh, what's, you know, that, that, that's the game. And it's just, the hole the size of a football that he sticks that ball and probably a lot of uh, lesser receivers wouldn't have made the catch either and just little moments like that and that that's just a game from nowhere you know, you you'd lose that game otherwise it's gone yeah yeah i think maybe overriding memory of marcus mariota when when all said and done is ari always always used to be probably before he, he broke his leg and maybe a little bit after but he always used to be automatic over middle to Delaney automatic yeah yeah protection held up bank connection every single time and that was that was kind of his calling card um in between hash marks never missed yes. um and yeah. that that kind of efficiency is 
what his game should have been built on. That's how you could have built him into a, a top-tier quarterback, just relying on that accuracy between numbers, short distances, and then having to make plays when game were aligned with his, his natural playmaking ability. And that's okay. something that we've never actually done or never actually done to a, a good enough standard to make him be successful. If he doesn't break his leg in 2016 in Jacksonville, we're not even have we're not even having this podcast tonight, or we're talking about something completely different. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Um, Marcus, yeah, we all love you, and we probably always will wherever you end up, unless it's at the Patriots. Um, but you know, yeah, don't go think, to uh, the Patriots. Please don't go to the Patriots. Wherever, <laughs> go wherever you like. Uh, go to the XFL if you really want to, but not the Patriots. <laughs> I mean, it's easy, it's easy to forget as well that he's only is only twenty five, so. I mean, Co- coaches, at, are, coaches are going to want to grab hold, hold of you, that. There's something you look at a few situations with. like, I hate to say it, but behind Brady or behind Rodgers, where he could really excel. Um, I don't know what kind of relationship he's got with Lafleur, but that's the destination that instantly sticks out to me, as well as, as Philly, because I think Frank Wright could do good things with him as well. I think that's, that's a good point, and, and he was just chucked straight in. Like he, he, when he first came here, you know, you look at Mahomes who sat behind Alex Smith for a year and, you know, like Alex Smith's not a, a Tom Brady, but you know, he sat behind him for a year to kind of just learn his craft. And, and even look back even further, even before my time, not literally, but in terms of being a Titans fan, like McNair, I mean, he, he didn't walk straight in from day one. I mean, he wasn't playing for a, a lot anyway for, for it must've been a year before he really kind of broke out. And now we're in a situation where you're basically going to draft a quarterback who's going to have to go straight back in again, unless you go and sign a Tannehill for a, a, an extension or go and find a, you know, another experienced quarterback to make them sit behind. But I don't see us doing that. I think wherever we, wherever we turn in the future, I think we'll probably draft someone this upcoming year and that will be our starter in my opinion. I, don't, I might be completely wrong, but I don't see it happening. Um, we will see. I'm sure we're going to have plenty of discussion on this over the <laughs> over the coming weeks. Absolutely. That's enough Titans chat for for one podcast. Um, what have we got that isn't Titans related? Neil, how's your car? Uh, it's fine actually. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm touching wood, but uh, it's fine. It's been fine for about three weeks now, so all being well, um, it'll hold up. Uh, I don't know where to go. Non-Titans related. Um, I don't want to talk about Leeds because, yeah. In fact, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about Leeds. I'm frustrated uh, with this Eddie and Ketia situation who we've got on loan from Arsenal. Um, so we all love his manager Marcelo Bielsa. Brilliant, best thing that's happened to to a club in years. He's really stubborn, and he's sticking with Patrick Bamford even though Patrick Bamford's not scoring. And Ketia on loan from Arsenal. Scored an hat trick last night for England under 21s, and he's all over social media saying he deserves to start for Leeds and blah 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 blah. Part of me thinks, yeah, Bielsa's absolutely right to stick with what he thinks his system is. Another part of me thinks we shouldn't really be bending over for Arsenal just because we've borrowed one of their players. But another part of me thinks, yeah, Enketia should really start because we're creating 20 chances a game and not scoring. 
Um, and he's kind of a natural goal scorer. So I've got this like being my bonnet about because he's come on loan from Arsenal and he, he obviously sees us as lesser. He thinks that we've just got to bow down and give him all game time and experience he needs. Um, and it's really frustrating from that point of view. Um, you know, if you don't want him, I'll take him at Stevenage. Don't <laughs> I, know, I, know. I, do, I do want him. I think he's excellent. But I just think uh, he's setting a dangerous precedent to like ask Bielsa to play a lone player because Arsenal are getting nervous about his game time. The the transfer windows being what they are stops a bit of flexibility there though. So you look at it from the, the other club's point of view. Yeah. Um, I but... just uh, I just think it's, it's I think you said he's Bielsa's quite a volatile character and if, if you're gonna go go to him and say Arsenal are frustrated because you're not playing their lone player, he's just gonna say in bin with you, get away, kind of thing. So um, I don't know. It's just I hate being over the barrel, kind of thing, to a Premier League club. We've got his own season and his own important games to to negotiate. If you get me, yeah, he's got he's he's got to pick the team each week, and he's got to pick the best team each week, regardless of where people's contracts are or what their deals are. Yeah, you know, if you you start picking a player who you don't think's in the best 11 for that day just because you're worried about a long-term relationship with a Premier League club then you're probably doing things for the wrong reasons yeah, it just seems of... seems an unnecessarily volatile situation and that's what we do best <laughs> <laughs> but like we're partly talking about the Titans again like, yeah yeah, best yeah. Thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah I think uh, I, unfortunately we don't have the, the delights although Steamish did actually win a game this weekend so I'm happy with that first <laughs> First, first league win of the season, so yeah, I was punching the air after that one. Mike, I'll tell you, what, I'll, I'll lead on mine. So this is um, in preparation. So I'm flying out to Nashville on Friday. Um, we're there for ten days. We're there for the, the Bucks game and the and the Chargers game. And I want to get actually not my your opinions, but actually, is it only me who, who or actually me and, and my wife who think this way? When you're on a flight. Opinions on people putting their chairs back. Are you are you kind of like it's part and parcel of it, like it's there for a reason, or are you very much like why I'd, would you uh, do that? I'd like to see that facility disabled on chairs. I don't like if, totally agree. If there, was, if there was a code where every single person put their chair back at the same time at any point, I could maybe tolerate that. But I'd, I actually don't think it's any more comfortable. And all it all it achieves is you can't get your table where you want your table. The if you've got flying long haul, the TV on the back of the the seat in front of you suddenly angled down. It is the I biggest thing that winds me up on flights because, and it winds me up even more so because, uh, yeah, you literally get two inches of movement. Like, how is that any more comfortable? But also, I'm six foot five. So as soon as I'm, I'm, a seat goes back on me, like, I'm just crippled for the rest of the flight. Yeah, I'm saying I'm like, six for your, for your, for your, for your two inches going a little bit further back. Are, are you really enjoying that to the extent? Right now, my legs are blue. It is the biggest thing that winds me up when it comes to flying. And I'm, I have to say, we've booked extra leg room for the way out, just purely for so no one can put their seat back on me. <laughs> Actually, on a flight I went on this year, um, when we got married in Vegas, on way back, we had nobody behind us. We're kind of like near where downstairs we're to the toilet. So I, dro- I dropped my seat all the way back thinking, oh, there's nobody behind me. This is brilliant. But every time then somebody went to said toilet, they knocked into my seat. So I ended up, <laughs> with, I ended up with an upright position anyway. 
Um, so it was pretty pointless in that respect as well. Just design seats so they can't do that. I'm with you, Adam, on that one. 100%. Plus, yeah. Fly Ryanair. I don't think you can put your seat back on Ryanair. <laughs> yeah, but then, then you have leg room problems. Go to <laughs> you have leg room problems of a different type when you're on Ryanair. I went on one recently. It's, uh, yeah, basically, I, I thought I had to stand. I was like, where, where do I hold on to? Like, there's no leg room to sit here. <laughs> yeah, painful. Um, I'll go finish very quickly. People that. Um, Ding your car in a car park and don't leave a note can do one. Ugh. And it's it's actually it's happened to us, myself and my wife, li- literally three or four times in the past two years. That yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. I saw I saw someone going back a bit further. I saw a, a HGV back into a parked car, and um, it drove off. <laughs> and this is this wasn't my this wasn't my car this is just a, a, a little aside but i then left a note on the car that it hit and i i clocked the registration of the hgv and said put the put on the note this is my number give me a call and the the driver did so i furnished them with those details so that hgv driver would have got what's yeah. coming to them lovely and that felt great but and no, now no we, such now, luck with now us. Now we've lost every HGV driver uh, listener that we had. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. Just, just the ones that would do that, and I'm sure it's not all of them. <laughs> Solidarity. <laughs> right, Lou, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week. Greg and Harry might, well, I say we'll be back next week. We haven't quite worked out what we're going to do. You're going to be in Nashville, but we'll, uh, we'll figure something out. Yeah, I think we're going to try and do something whilst we're out there, um, whether it'll be just like a bonus one or, or and you guys can obviously carry on from, from this side of the pond. But uh, we'll definitely try and do something whilst we're out there. Well, enjoy enjoy your trip. And Thank you very much. Yeah, hopefully you'll bring bring some bring some better form. 100%, 100% record in Nashville. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that will, will stay intact in the next two games. Keep that going, four and four. And we're, we're probably all, all much happier, aren't we? Absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. Get in, get in touch at Transatlantic TN. Let us know what you think. Um, yeah, give us a give us a shout. And yeah, we'll catch you soon. Tighten up, and well, for the boy. <laughs> <laughs>